Well, good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Anita J, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater living in Massachusetts. And today is Tuesday, October 9th, 2018, and this is the 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time meeting. And today we're reading from the big book, and we are on page 134 in Chapter 9, The Family Afterwards. We'll be beginning with the first paragraph, starting with a word about sex relations, reading through three paragraphs ending often following such a reunion, and comments will be taken on all. Today's readers are for the 12 Steps, Karen K, 12 Traditions, Dana M, and the readers of the text are Lisa H and Nessa R, and our backup lady is Carmela G. The share ID numbers for yesterday, Monday, October 8th, the 7 a.m. meeting, is 12,013. That's 12013. And for the 10 a.m. meeting, it's 12,014. 12014. And our newcomer greeters, Devorah S., and our 8 a.m. host is Rebecca F. It takes a lot of people, doesn't it? Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At A Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. And I will now ask Karen Kay to read OA's 12 Steps for us. Good morning. This is Karen Kay, Recovering Compulsive Overeater in New York. 12 Steps. Number one, we admitted we were powerless over compulsive eating, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. 
six were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine made direct amends to such people wherever possible except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong promptly admitted it. Eleven sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And number twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all of our affairs. Pass. Thanks so much, Karen Kay. Thank you. And I will now ask Dana M. to read OA's 12 Traditions. Hi, Anita. Can I be heard? This is Dana M. Yes. Hi. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, This is Dana M., Recovered Compulsive Overeater. These are the 12 Traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. Uh, Tradition number one, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to compulsive overeaters who still suffer. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thanks for allowing me to serve. Thanks so much, Dana M. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. 
There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you're done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Well, today we are resuming our study of the big book and we are on page 134 in chapter nine, the family afterwards. We're beginning with the first paragraph, which starts with a word about sex relations, reading through three paragraphs ending with often follow such a reunion. And I will ask Lisa H. to begin us off. Morning, Lisa. Good morning. Good morning, Anita and my fellows. This is Lisa H., grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater in Tennessee. A word about sex relations. Alcohol is so sexually stimulating to some men that they have overindulged. Couples are occasionally dismayed to find that when drinking is stopped, the man tends to be impotent. Unless the reason is understood, there may be an emotional upset. Some of us had this experience only to enjoy in a few months a finer intimacy than ever. There should be no hesitancy in consulting a doctor or psychologist if the condition persists. We do not know of many cases where this difficulty lasted long. The alcoholic may find it hard to reestablish friendly relations with his children. Their young minds were impressionable while he was drinking. Without saying so, they may cordially hate him for what he has done to them and to their mother. The children are sometimes dominated by a pathetic hardness and cynicism. They cannot seem to forgive and forget. This may hang on for months, long after their mother has accepted dad's new way of living and thinking. In time, they will see that he is a new man, and in their own way, they will let him know it. When this happens, they can be invited to join in morning meditation, and they can take part in the daily discussions without rancor or bias. For that, from that point on, progress will be rapid. Marvelous results will follow such a reunion. Um, again, good morning. Um, these three paragraphs um, I haven't read in a while, and um, and it has caused me to really reflect um, on how things were when I was in the food, and what I remember now. Um, you know, some of you know I just celebrated 30 years of marriage. And, um, and so looking back, what I remember when I was in the food, um, particularly sugar, you know, I would have whatever that sugary thing was after dinner and literally within 30 minutes, I was asleep. Um, and I know obviously that caused, um, some disappointment in my spouse. Um, so, you know, fast forward now been three and a half years um, in abstinence and recovered um, the um, that the progress that I've made um, this um, process of awakening if you will um, not being clouded by the sugar Um, I'm not you know I'm not falling asleep 30 minutes after dinner Um, and and I do love that line and it says 
um, even in a few months, a finer intimacy, uh, and there's a finer intimacy than ever, um, because that's really what has happened in, in my marriage relationship, um, and not just in sex, but in our, in our relationship on a daily basis. Um, you know, prior to recovery, I thought everything was his fault, don't you know? Um, and, and that has, that has changed and our, um, the honesty and the intimacy and the, um, the things that we're able to, to talk about has changed. Um, and then with respect to my children, um, you know, my children watched me for many, many years, put the sugar down and pick it up again and put it down and pick it up again. Um, and really by the time I found recovery, they were no longer living in my home. Um, and so when I found recovery and, and did put the sugar down, they kind of watched me from a distance um, and would always offer, you know, if, if there was somebody bringing dessert over, it would always say, Mom, don't you want a bite? Mom, don't you want? And I would just say, no, thank you. Um, the interesting thing is my husband, of course, would never offer that because he'd seen what I had done, what I had been through. Um, and, and even though after making amends to my children, and, and they're adults now, um, whether they whether they understand, and it was one of those things I will continue to have to have conversation with them about, um, is, and again, they also see, and I say this to, to my sponsees and to my fellows, um, with my adult children, I have now stopped inserting myself into their lives, you know, so that I'm not controlling or wanting to tell them what to do or those kinds of things. And I think they see that as a difference. Um, and I think that's all I have to share. Thank you for letting me share. And I pass. Oh, thank you so much for kicking us up, Lisa H. All right. Who else would like to comment on those three paragraphs? Nessa R. Nessa. This is Larry. Larry. Charles H. Charles H. Okay. Kathy G. Kathy G. from Chicago. All right, let's kick it off with two ladies and two gentlemen. All right, Nessa, good morning to you. Hi, good morning, Vision for You. My name is Nessa R. And I am a recovered compulsive overeater in Toronto, Canada. You know, these these paragraphs remind me that I, you know, in my years of active addiction um, and this disease, I didn't only damage my body and potentially my health, but more importantly, all my relationships, including my most important relationships, you know, my my husband, my children, you know, my, my loved ones. But, you know, unlike my body, um, these are much harder to restore because, as was just shared previously, you know, I emerged into recovery without any credibility whatsoever, any none whatsoever. You know, my husband and I fought constantly about my weight and my eating, you know. And, you know, I actually thought that everything would be fairy tale yeah. once I put down the food. But I was wrong because... You know, I, I, I had no credibility. I had gone on many diets before, many different weight loss programs, um, experts, specialists, you know, and I, and I got back into the food anyhow, you know. It is very easy to, to betray the trust, but it takes a, a long, hard work 
to um, to gain it back. You know, relationships are very difficult to restore. You know, as it says in the big book in in, in several different places, it says that um, you know there are there is a long period of reconstruction ahead, and all problems will not be solved at once. I mean, I, I definitely did not just destroy my relationship with my husband and my children um, overnight, and and so it has taken a lot of uh, willingness, patience, and labor to restore them, you know, but I would say now after seven years um, of being recovered or almost seven years of almost of being recovered, I have beautiful relationships uh, with my husband and with my children. Um, You know, I don't have to make amends often, you know, but when I do make amends, they know that I mean it. It's not the old, oh, I'm sorry and then do it again of old. Uh, It's not the unpredictable um, wife and mother who, you know, people didn't know is she going to be in a good mood or in a bad mood or, or whatever, you know, because the truth is most of the time I am in a good mood, even when things don't go my way, because, you know, I have the steps to process, you know, the, the frustrations and the challenges I go through throughout the day, you know, and I know that as long as my will is aligned with God, then I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay. And that makes me feel um, at peace and, and serene and content. And so the woman that I am now is so totally different than I was seven years ago, but it's taken a long time. It didn't happen overnight. My recovery did not happen overnight. My relationship with God did not happen overnight. And the restoration of my relationships also um, didn't happen overnight. And they all, all of these, all of the above require um, consistent daily work. Even now, I cannot rest on my laurels. I have to continue um, working what I've been doing to uh, keep what I have. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thanks so much, Vanessa. Larry, followed by Charles. Hey, Anita. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> it's Larry K. Recovered this morning. Ah, tough topic. Tough topic for me. See, I'm going to speak more from a general, you know, my own experience from a more general perspective, and I'm going to talk about intimacy. Because intimacy, you know, involves lots of things. It involves closeness. Forget with a partner, even with a friend, and you know, whoever it is. It, it involves closeness, togetherness, affinity for that person, rapport, an attachment, familiarity, all those things, right? Friendship, certainly, affection, all those things. Now, when I was in this disease, and, and, and I'm not here to suggest that anything's perfect today because I, you know, we hear it all the time. I'm not going to rise above the level of human being. But I will tell you it's different today. I can have intimacy. I can have affection and closeness for, for my fellows, for friends, partners, in a way that I wasn't able to before. Because when I, was, when I was in the food, I didn't know what I didn't know. And one of the things that I didn't know, I thought that, you know, I can remember, you know, let's take a trip. Let's go, you know, that's, that's how I was showing my, um, my affection. I, try, I loved and I tried to show love in the best way that I could, but I was really blocked off and I really had the true inability to have true togetherness with another individual, even in friendship. I had a shelf life, you know. I had a, I had a few minutes here and there, darting in and out, 
Now, again, while it's not perfect today, it's different. By the grace of God, it's different today because, see, um, working these steps every day, working them through, and, and having this spiritual way of life, this spiritual existence is so much different today because I can have more closeness, more, not perfect, but more attachment with other individuals. And I can go deeper with individuals, um, you know, in terms of, 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 you know, getting down to the core of who I am and learning who they are. It's a way of, it's a much better way of life. And I'm so grateful for it. So, yeah, I'm not going to speak about impotence, but I'm going to I'm going to speak about intimacy. Into me, I see. Into me, you see. With that, I pass. Thanks. My thank you very much, Larry. Charles, good morning. You are up. Good morning, Anita Baker. I mean, Anita, <laughs> I love you, girl. <laughs> I know who that is, Anita Baker. You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna speak about impotence because I can remember coming here and not wanting to put down the catch up and, and like, yo, y'all, y'all vision people bogged out. But, um, you know, I could tell you over a little bit of time as I got ground zero abstinence, as I listened to Ruth them on entire abstinence and I was resentful every second of it, but I needed every second of fiber of resentment from that. And the overflow of being ground zero, um, abstinence is that I'll be, I'll be coming attacking my wife every single time I got, because I was one of them dudes that was infinite. Um, right, I was, right, because of this disease, because of me feeding this disease. And, you know, um, ground zero is nastier than step one, because ground zero is I got to be like, you know what, I love when she said, you know what, oh, yeah, that item, too. you said no sugar and flour, oh, that item too? Yeah, you can't have that. And I was tight every second I listened to that. But you know what? The overflow and the promise, the hidden promise, is that I'm not impotent no more. And my wife be like, yo, chill, Charles. And she'd be like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like I'm not impotent no more because of ground zero abstinence, right? And um, shout out to Mama Bear, man. I love you, girl. And, and you know what's so good? We, I, I have relationships with sisters in here, and I ain't trying to go there, right? Like, 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 I'm on the streets of New York right now. We have a lot of beautiful women, and my nature rides. But it's all for wifey, you know, when, when I behave myself. And with that, I pass. I hope I, I took care of the infinity uh, piece. And with that, I pass. I think there's little left to say. Thank you so much, Carol. And Kathy G., good morning. Good morning, Anita. It's Kathy G. Uh, <laughs> oh, recovered compulsive overeater in Illinois. Sending you big hugs, Anita. And uh, thank you so much, everyone. Wow, you know what? I thought I was being brave this morning by talking, but but that was that that just took the cake, so to say. That was fantastic. I love I love you people. I love all the flavors that God has created us to be. It's just awesome to listen to when people read three paragraphs and the different perspectives and takes that we have. I love it. Uh, I wanted to jump in because I wanted to just, I felt like I was going to be a little brave this morning by stepping into this. It's never easy to talk about sex relations. And uh, as we were reading, I thought alcohol is so sexually stimulating to some men that they have overindulged. Well, that was definitely me when I was drinking, for sure. 
But the interesting thing is, like Lisa said, I I used to uh, eat to pass out a lot. And when I ate, it was a complete intimacy blocker. Um, Once when I was in treatment, they said that, uh, they told me that cigarettes were an intimacy blocker, but nothing was an intimacy blocker to me like food was. And I am just really grateful today to be able to be stepping into getting somewhat comfortable with being uncomfortable in being fully exposed without the food taking off those edges, those uh, without the food like protecting some of my vulnerability. And uh, it's interesting because in my marriage, my recovery has really been kind of a jolt to the whole intimacy issue because God bless my husband, man, you know, you think about the spouses of us and the changes they have to go through over the years, you know, one year we're eating this, the next year we're not eating that and we're not eating something else. I mean, it's, it's gotta be, man, they deserve awards is all I can say. God bless that man. But um, because I am in a level of recovery now that I never have been, my husband doesn't have to take care of me and emotionally pick up my pieces like he used to. And so things have shifted, but we're both fully in it and being patient. And I, and I just look forward to the hope that we will have a finer intimacy than ever. I think that is so hopeful and it's been so true in so many ways in my life through this recovery. So, so just thanks everyone for sharing. Thanks Anita for hosting this morning and I love you all. Okay. Thank you, Kathy G. All right, now the water's now been tested. Who else would like to share? Katie Donna G from w. Boston. Katie Linda G. Linda D. from Connecticut. Donna. Okay, wait a minute. Donna and Linda D. and Russ M. Okay, any more? Mary H. Mary H. All right, guys. So we'll start with Katie G, Donna, Linda D, Russ M, and Mary H. Katie G, good morning. Good morning, Anita. Good morning, my fellows. This is Katie G, recovered in Boston. Um, I mean, I guess what these three paragraphs are reminding me is what is the root of my problem? Selfishness, right? If we go back to the fourth step, when we talk about um, our relationship inventory, we're really talking, or I, I was taught that I'm really talking about my selfishness. And, um, you know, I think as as a compulsive overeater, when I'm active in my disease and when I'm um, just not in the light of God's spirit, um, I want to be comfortable <clears throat> all the time. And I want the family, I want the husband I want everything to orbit around me and my needs and my program and my wants and desires. You know, I'm living on page 60 where if everybody would just follow my script, they would be happy. And it's very easy to shut down parts of my life because they don't work. Like if it's not, if it's not, if it's not in my purview, forget it. Because I'm, you know, one of the most beautiful questions in the um, sexual, well, relationship inventory is, where am I inconsiderate? 
And what is inconsiderate? I'm not naturally considering somebody else's feelings, right? And so what I look at this as an opportunity to start, you know, as a recovered woman, and um, I don't know, for some people it's really fast. For me, it seems to be a slow uncovering where God, um, you know, brings to me when I'm ready to hear where I'm being inconsiderate. Where am I not bringing in my husband's feelings? Where am I not, where am I trying to approach our marriage um, in the way that I think it should be approached or running my family the way I think it should be as opposed to being like, okay, all right, I, I'm, not, I'm not the center of this family. Like, God, I earnestly pray for the right ideal, guidance in each questionable situation as a wife, as a mother, and the strength to do the right thing. So what is the right thing in each questionable situation? Um, and, you know, my husband and my daughter is not yet ready, are not um, joining me in morning meditation. <clears throat> but what I'm finding is the more I put this program and the and the tenth step and then the written eleventh step with prayer and meditation, the more um, openings that I find for dialogue and for connection with my husband because I'm starting to see that I'm not the great I am that this that this marriage in this world can function much more successfully and I'll just end with this much more successfully without me at the helm with God at the helm with God being the divine third in my marriage in all of my relationships and me just getting out of the way and I pray to continue and with that I pass thanks so much all right Kathy thank you Katie Katie I'm all right uh Donna your turn good morning Good morning, Good Donna morning. W. here, calling from Philadelphia, from California. Um, grateful, so grateful to be recovered today, and that I get to show up and feel all my feelings. And right now, I'm feeling scared. I'm in Philadelphia for a work event that I'm leading, and I'm feeling fear. And uh, I, yay, I get to feel my fear today because I'm not numbed out. And you know, intimacy, boy, that's scary too. And how many times did I, you know, have a great, like, date night out with my husband, and then I just eat just even a little too much. I don't even have to be head down in it, but, you know, eat a little too much, and then because I'm, you know, making love with the food, having a relationship with the food versus being connected with my husband, and then it's like the like the, the, the curtains go down, and I'm no longer present, so, you know, can't really connect with, with my husband anymore, so... Um, you know, grateful that um, that I get to be present, and we had a wonderful weekend because I'm away for 11 days, so grateful that I got to be present with them, and I get to feel my feelings today, and you know, like others have shared, I thought when I put down the food, and when I worked the steps, and I would be perfect, I thought when I lost the weight, I would be perfect, and life would be easy, and uh, what I've learned from A Vision for You is that I don't rise above being human, so today I get to feel my feelings. I get to embrace all of me. Uh, I get to do my 10th step. I already did one this morning. And, uh, you know, just get to show up. And um, things that really work for me is I just need to do an hour at a time. A day at a time is overwhelming for me often. So I, I'll, I just need to get to 830. That's all. Um, I don't have to deal with the whole day. I'm going to let God be in charge. And I just need to show up and do the next right thing. So I'm so grateful for the meeting that I get to show up. And remember to uh, to lean on God, to lean on you, and uh, you know get clear on what's what's right. Because if I'm not present, 
So I'm using the food, then I can't be present in my work. So I get to show up and uh, be aware, be present, and uh, do my best to breathe today. And I would love your thoughts and prayers with me as I go through this challenge. Thanks so much. And thank you, Anita. Hey, thank you very much, Donna W. Uh, Linda D., followed by Russ M. Good morning, everyone. Morning, Anita. Thanks for your service, dear. Uh, I'm Linda D. from Connecticut. I, uh, I'm, floored by, <laughs> I'm floored by the honesty that I hear today, so I'd like to add mine, and it, it's kind of scary. <laughs> uh, I'm 74 years old, soon to be 75, and uh, it sounds like a little old lady in Duluth or something. And uh, and I'm not like that. And it's because of the steps. It's because of my higher power. It's because of you guys, everything that I learned. So I'd like to also um, tie it in with being single. I've never been married. And um, I'm not used to being uh, good-looking, like what I see in the mirror, like who I see in the mirror. And it's a total shock to me that men come toward me, and they're not all elderly. And while that's lovely, I I don't know what to do some of the time. And I think I hear that at least in the rooms of AA, which I also attend. There are a lot of men. And um, that um, intimacy is the whole point, and it's trust. And I have to, uh, the only way that I can function in the world is by being very, very close to the divine, to my higher power, God, and um, and take the uh, lessons that I'm learning very, very seriously because it's awkward being 74 years old and feeling more like 25 or so. I don't have a lot of experience. I'm not <laughs> a hanger-outer at clubs or anything like that, nor am I a little old lady. And... Um, I think uh, one day I had a um, very powerful spiritual experience where I realized that I am totally alone in the universe except for God because everything will pass away. And it wasn't a nihilistic feeling or anything like that, but it made me, uh, galvanized me into action with these steps uh, and the tools of the program. Um, to learn how to be alone and to learn how to love myself and other people. It's not intellectual. It is entirely a spiritual experience. So I have people in my life that I love, and some of them are on the bus with me, and some of them are in my office, and and some of them are men. Good God, I don't know what to do with that. But anyway, I'll talk to my sponsor. I'll feel better. <laughs> Thanks. I pass. Thanks so much, Linda D. Uh, Russ M., followed by Mary H. Good morning, Russ. Good morning, Nita. Good morning, my fellows. Great to be on this awesome meeting. I just, just so awesome. So, this impotence deal, right? Uh, now, I was kind of impotent all the way around. You know, more emotionally impotent. Not being able to be... Uh, present or be able to ha- uh, take in consideration my wife's needs, my kids' needs. You know, I would come in a house after after a binge, and it was just like I was a zombie. 
the zombie, Mr. Cranky Pants, barking at everybody and pushing people around till I could get, get on the couch or get into the bed and go to sleep. And then when we come out of the food, you know, I'm getting free, I'm detoxing, and I'm starting to feel a lot of things. Yeah, it was rocky. It was rocky. And, you know, that rockiness and that emotion still comes up today, but it's better managed, and it is better. And things are really fruitful in my marriage. It's the coolest thing. It's like, you know, I said before, my, it's like my wife and I are dating again. You know, we, we tease each other. We try to make each other laugh. We try to just have a little fun in life, in the drudgery of life, you know, this, this thing that we call life. So it, it's kind of, it's, it's beautiful, you know, working through these steps. And then, you know, with my kids, you know, my, my guys, I always was a coach. I was always there. But, you know, I was rough on him, especially my oldest, Joe, because I was freaking out when we had him. I was freaking out. I, I was so unprepared for this, this beautiful son of mine. And, you know, we've had hard hard blowouts, man. It's been it's been rough, me and him. But over this time of recovery, I, it, the corner's turning, and we're talking. And the relationship is, is growing. And that's going with all five of them. And, and it's just... I, I can't thank God enough for this beautiful program because, you know, yes, it was me. It wasn't my son. It, it wasn't life. It was how I, how I was reacting to life, you know. And um, there's hope, you know, there's hope. And they're seeing a change in me. My kids are seeing a change in me. Now I can actually, you know, play with my little girls. And I ain't, I ain't, I'm not going to play dress up or dollies or nothing like that. But, you know, I'll, I'll do whatever they want. I'm kidding. But, uh I could be there for my family. And that's that's one of the biggest gifts that this program has given me, that God has shown me. It's just awesome. Th- thank you, guys. I love you. I, I have to share this with you. Y'all have an awesome day. Thank you so much, Russ. Uh, Mary, Mary H., good morning. Hey, this is Mary H. Can I be heard? Yes, Mary. Okay, great. Hi, everybody. This is Mary H. recovering in Wisconsin, and I'm so glad to to be here. Thank you, everyone, for your shares and for your service. So it's funny that <laughs> one of the things that I thought about uh, with this one, even though, you know, this, this word, it's like the word, the elephant in the room, impotence, you know, when I think about this series of paragraphs, and what it's really talking about, which some other people have mentioned, is just being able to show up not in the way that I feel capable of, not in the way that is good for me and makes me comfortable, but to show up in a really in a really authentic way in the way that my family needs me. And that's why I'm here. I mean, that's why I'm here because my marriage doesn't doesn't work, not the way that I had always hoped it to. You know, and this program tells me that I just need to follow these simple directions and that it's going to get better, you know. And I want to heal my relationships with these tiny kids 
because I, I already see the ways that that doesn't work. I'm in the middle of my fourth step, so <laughs> I won't get too deep into it. But, you know, where I am right now, it's just all these things I've been trying to avoid, right? I don't want to see how my marriage isn't working. I want to pretend it is working and that it's great. And I don't want to see how I'm failing my children. I want to see how I'm, you know, doing the stuff on page 60 and, you know, um, with the best of intentions. But I'm still, I'm still self-will run riot. And so I have to work these steps to just pry open the shell, the armor that... I don't want to believe that I have created around myself, but I see it. I see the results of me living in it because the ways that I'm able to relate to my family are not beyond my wildest dreams. And even just having worked up through the middle of step four, I am already seeing these amazing changes when I let go of the steering wheel and invite God to take it over where I stop directing the show and I just ask God to bring in what's meant to be there and to show me the way that he wants me to be. And I'm hearing things come out of my mouth that are not from me and they are kinder and more generous and more compassionate than things that I would have said. I'm already seeing myself be a better wife, a better daughter. Thank you. A better mom. And so I'm just so grateful to be here today, and I'll pass. Thanks so much, Mary H. How about four more? Vasa O. Melissa C. Melissa. Julie E.B. Carmela E.B. And Carmela G. All right, let's go with you guys. All right, Vasa, good morning. Good morning, Anita. Good morning, everyone. I'm Vasa, grateful, grateful, recovered, compulsive Vida, calling from Foxborough, Massachusetts. And this is a good reading. It's, uh, it's a reminder. You know, I, I thought I was a wonderful mother. And looking back, I said, you know, and I... Again, I've made amends to my children, and uh, and my kids know what they do, but my relationship right now is with my daughter. And uh, she wrote me a list of all the things that, that happened to her as a child. I mean, it's, there's nothing that's positive in there. And I told my kids, you know, well, when I was into the food, I was like a crazy mother. I, I had no understanding what the sugar did, you know, to me. And uh, but that's okay. I'm dealing with her right now because uh, she's dealing with things that I was dealing when I came in recovery. And she's in the anger. She's in the resentment, and and that's where she is. So she's pushing me away, and that's okay. Setting boundaries. I'm respecting her boundaries, and I also don't want to be into her negativism either. And he talks. Uh, what about sex relations? Alcohol is so sexually stimulating to some men that they have overindulged. I had no clue that the sugar did that for me. I think for me it was more, I was looking for the intimacy, the touch, the hug, the love, uh, that kind of a nurturing was more the sex 
act was it was fine, but again, I was more of the looking for the in, uh, that different kind of uh, intimacy. And uh, well, looking back, I had intimacy with the food. I, I'm almost I was like a chef, you know. I spent a lot of time into cookbooks and experimenting with food and cutting this the sugar to this because it's going to be less calories then you know maybe that's going to I lose weight and so what's the use if I'm going to sit down eat the whole thing not just one piece cutting sugar a little bit it's, it's not a big deal so the the sexual part I remember you know when I was young I was only 41 years old when I came in the program and I did blame my husband a lot because he wasn't coming after me. He was the man. He should be the leader. So I remember feeling um, alone and lonely and unloved and not cared. And but I wasn't that kind of a person towards him either. So um, today is different. I remember in those day, days, my husband would say, "Well, you know, we'll have sex when we retire." Well, we are retired. We're seventy-three years old. I'm not in the same page with him right now. He is into the sugars, you know. And but anyways, God is, you know, has restored our relationship is the most important. Right. It's not all about sex. I know it's my time up. You know, I, it's amazing this program what has um, done for me that, that I couldn't do for myself. And I give it all to the to my higher power, all the glory, and all the credit because of that. I've been letting the 12 steps, and thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Vasa. Melissa C., good morning. Hi, good morning, Anita. Thank you. It's Melissa C., recovered compulsive overeater in New York. Um, I apologize if, if you lose me. I might, might lose my reception here, but um, I'll give it a go. I, you know, I'm thinking this morning, it really came back to me, um, an unpleasant memory on my honeymoon, you know, I, I think there's a difference between alcohol and food and alcohol might, you know, incite um, some loving romantic feelings and food did not do that for me. And, you know, when I, when I met my husband, I was abstinent. I wasn't using sugar. I wasn't using food. I was in a period of serious control. And on my honeymoon, I picked up, I picked up with a drink and, and I remember, you know, like, the first time it made us really like fun and intimate. But for me, once I indulged in the alcohol, it led me right back to the food. That's, that's what happens to me. They're connected. And so, um, yeah, on my honeymoon, I was not all that romantic. I remember, like, you know, overeating, eating so much that I didn't want to be intimate with my with my husband, and 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 also I have memories of like early marital days where um, my husband would make these really lovely dinners, um, you know, and and have a couple of glasses of wine, and I went right to the food, and so they did not end with intimate relationships, and then I would get mad, like I would want him to want me, and. You know, who wants somebody who's passed out because they binge too much? Or, you know, and, and just the how food really did put a block in intimacy in my relationship with my husband, with my kids, because it 
was my God. It ruled my life. It, it became far more important than forming loving bonds with my children and forming loving bonds with my husband. And, you know, and how has it changed today? Like, we're together 25 years, and um, sometimes we're really tired and not all that, like, as, as, you know, into it as we once were. But there's an intimacy there. There's a closeness. There's a, you know, even just in what can I, what can I do for you tonight? You know, like, can I love your back? Can I bring you a, you know, a cup of coffee, a cup of tea, something? A, a different, there's a different way that I'm able to bring um, me and my love into a relationship when food is not my master. Um, thank you for that. I'll have. Thanks so much, Melissa. Julie E.B., good morning. Good morning. This is Julie E.B., gratefully recovered in Colorado. Um, As I was listening to this this morning, um, I'm just very aware of what a blessing this program is. You know, um, putting down the food, there's newcomers out there, and they're wondering how they can live without it. Um, Putting down the food saves me from so many barriers. Uh, The first barrier was not relying on anything other than myself. And so, uh, like it says with the alcohol, it brings us into these highs, into these uh, kind of lows. Um, It's interesting when it talks about intimacy um, and talks about this kind of closeness that it may have all been clouded by food, Um, because uh, it just makes me very, very selfish. And it has made me very, very selfish um, in a way that I've had to relearn uh, my relationships. And, you know, after many years, this is still a long road of reconstruction. Um, And I've hurt my children. Um, And uh, I have uh, taught them uh, things from my disease, Um, and uh, they've had to struggle with aspects of my disease um, and also with never knowing if it was going to be up or down or uh, good or bad, being on pins and needles. So now I strive uh, to turn over to God uh, my character defects and be predictable and trustworthy. Um, and emotionally sober, and as I've asked God to remove these defects, um, I am glaringly aware um, when I'm out of them, as I'm doing my 11th step or my 10th step, or moving into service, but I'm thankful. Um, The final thing this made me really think about was my children. Um, I had difficulty forming a higher power that was loving enough for me and believing that a higher power could love me in an amazing way Um, because despite um, a knowledge of some kind of higher power, uh, always my lower power thoughts were going on. I'm not worth it. I'm not good enough. But now one of the things I think of when I think of unconditional love is how my kids have loved me at every size. And as teenagers, three of them, uh, they have a variety of different ways that they're letting me know how they were hurt, able to rebel now, able to establish their own space now, um, and their own way of relating and recovering um, from my disease. Um, But the miracle is 
uh, they are still giving me a chance, all three of them. And uh, when I think of unconditional love and how anyone could love me, I think about how they loved me at every size. And um, this just gives me um, an amazing hope. And I hope to give back to them, to my husband, and to my family a better way of life. Thanks for letting me share. I pass. Thank you, Julie E.B. Carmela G., you are up. Thank you. Um, This whole section has brought to mind to me um, really step one, and honesty. Honesty with myself. In this whole section of of the reading, um, my relationship, as well as another person on this line, I was never married. So, and I'm also in my 70s, and my relationships with the men in my life were always those of, I had this dishonest view of what I was and who I was and what I looked like. I never admitted to myself any of the truths. I was successful professionally, and therefore I could. And when I would have relationships with these people, and they didn't go the way I wanted them to go because of the what I needed, I would be disappointed, and my only true lover could be the food. So I would always return to it. And then try again with the dishonest face going forward until I could remove that mask of dishonesty and truly look within myself. And when I would socialize with my friends, I always made sure those friends were my eating buddies so that we could all tell the lie to ourselves. But today, today, as a recovered woman, to know genuine love, unselfish love, that is a gift, and it started when I was near death, and my higher power, who I thought abandoned me, I realized had loved me so much, and I recovered from the illness, and then I went into program, and now I have a life that is just so incredible, I never thought in my 70s that I could experience what I am today. And it's all because I finally became honest and allowed my higher power to direct me instead of my self-will and deceit to myself. And thank you for allowing me to share. Thanks so much, Carmela G. All right, I've got a few seconds here. Anita here. I just want to say I had three and a half years of the recovered Anita for my husband to live with. And he saw it. He saw it immediately. He couldn't get over it. And how that affected, you know, his end days was incredible. We used to joke that he better not get sick and expect me to care for him because I had zero nursing. And I think now how he'd stare at me as I rubbed his feet because they were all cracked. 
how I get in the catcher's position was I try to get his socks off because without the steamer, you can't bend. And I, we would laugh at it because I had to have a chair behind me as I pull those socks off or I was going to land on my tush. I mean, to think we had, it was intimate, you know, intimate. And with that, I will pass. And I want to thank everybody who shared today. Um, and the share ID for this fabulous meeting, which I think I may even listen again to, is 12,018. One, two, zero, one, eight. Or maybe I'll listen to the nine o'clock. Um, I want to thank everybody who shared. And we're going to close um, the re with what we, how we usually do with the reading from the big book on page 164. And Carmela G, would you read that for us? A vision for you, Carmela. Hi, Anita. This is Nessa R. I think I was oh, uh, reader number two. Do you want me. to go ahead? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Go ahead, please. Good. Thank you. Um, this is Nessa R. Um, and I am grateful for the opportunity to be of service. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past and give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road to, of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.